Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at St. Mark, and I'm joined today by our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer, Sr. And we've been walking through a series called It's Not Just Black and White, covering topics and subjects and issues that aren't necessarily clear in Scripture. Mm -hmm. They are gray areas. We do know Scripture has some things to say about issues of conscience and things like that. And we've been looking at several topics that have been very interesting of late. Mm -hmm. On this episode, uh, we want to give any parents who are listening or folks who may be listening with young children just a caveat here. If you're listening on the way in to work or to take your kids to school, uh, you may want to think about either skipping this episode or thinking about the content that's provided. To not, on this episode, we're going to be talking about sex, soul ties, and masturbation. Uh, these are uh, adult topic areas, and certainly we want you to be a, a good steward of your children and when and where they're exposed to this. So I want to make sure we gave you all this heads up. But that's what we're talking about, bedroom behavior. Mm. Uh, we call this particular episode The Quiet Storm. Many of us grew up listening to the radio, The Quiet Storm at Night, mm-hmm. is when you had that music that yes, could so. get you in trouble yeah. or let you as married couples have some fun. So I want to talk about, in this episode, uh, bedroom behavior. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about the idea of soul ties mm-hmm. and then masturbation, which are things that the church generally does not discuss um, in a way that people understand those uh, and get clarity on those. And we hope to provide some context around that. Yep. Yeah, um, I, I remember one preacher saying years ago, if you ever want to get the church quiet, talk about money and sex. <laughs> if, you, if you ever want to get the church quiet. Hmm. Um, and those areas are areas that people, you know, it's private. It's, it's a personal choice, those kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. But the reality is these areas are important expressions of our spiritual understanding and walk with God. Mm-hmm. How we view and engage in sex is a part of how we view and understand God. Wow, that's good. And I, 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 I cannot state that explicitly enough. We are made in the image of God. We call it the Imago Dei, the image of God. God created humankind as we are um, with the parts that we have and designed us to experience um, the physical world, time, space, and matter um, as we experience it. And one of the things that God introduced into that experience is the experience of sex, Pastor John. Yeah. And I love uh, Temper Longman's quote on this. He says that sex is meant by God to be one of the bridge experiences between heaven and earth. My God. 
temper long they talk, sir. <laughs> I mean, but but here's the thing: people view it. Some people view it so negatively mm-hmm. that they aren't able to understand that beautiful bridge experience that we do see in sex that is rightly lived out um, between heaven and earth. If we're created in God's image, mm-hmm. then we're enjoy we're we're created to enjoy that experience in a way that helps us to experience. A little taste of heaven on earth. Listen, and and there are, I mean, the, the biology of it, the physiology of the nerve endings that are in um, those parts that engage um, in in intercourse, mm-hmm. um, the nerve endings that uh, are in other parts of the body that can stimulate and 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 heighten the sensation. These are God given. God ordained, God purposed parts of our anatomy, mm-hmm. and we cannot deny them or dismiss them. And if we keep sex in the dark and make it dirty and make it um, as if it's always going to be something that is that is uh, uh, disgusting and and, and 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 off to the side, then we miss the beauty and privilege mm-hmm. that God has given us to to have that experience. That's good. And we know that sex isn't just a Christian experience. As a matter of fact, humans <laughs> have engaged in and uh, had this idea of sex since the beginning of time. Yeah. So people, um, let's let's let me shock you. People have sex. What? They they've been having sex. <laughs> people have sex today, and they're going mm. to have sex. Yeah. And I think it's very good for us to understand historically how culture has viewed sex because it helps us to understand how we view sex today. Absolutely. So uh, it goes as far back as Egyptian culture and the myths that, that arise in Egyptian culture because they had a legend that said that the Nile River mm-hmm. was formed by the god Atum, and he formed it in a very specific way. He did. He formed it through spilling his divine seed to make the river. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much more clearly I can put that. Yeah. But the pharaohs, here's what they would do. (laughs) Every year, because they wanted to see themselves as godlike and as leaders, they had festivals. Mm -hmm. Everybody would gather around the river now, and the pharaoh would go down and make himself a deposit he would deposit his seed his seed in the the river river. as the god atum did because pharaoh wanted to see himself as a god so they had an entire festival and if i'm gonna be clear around masturbation yes yes the idea is that atum masturbated and created the nile and then the pharaoh would go down to the river annually and do the same thing. Each year, once a year. Every year. And it was a festival. It was a party. It was a whole party just to wa- wait and watch him mm-hmm. do that. And, and and here's what we need to grasp around that, not just, not just the shock value. We're not saying that just for shock value, but it shapes our understanding in, in this way. The idea that the Nile gave life mm. to everything around it, that the Nile was the, was the reason Egypt prospered. And the reason Egypt became a world power and its wealth and might all came because of its proximity to the Nile. All great civilizations in the ancient culture um, were connected to rivers mm. economically and, and, and militarily. Rivers had, had a big deal. And, and so they, they perceived it to, the, to be the emanation 
mm. of their God and to be perpetuated by pharaohs who also wanted to be God. The idea um, was that they were prospered because of yeah. something sexual that happened. Yeah, and, and what you see is the paternalism mm-hmm. that is intrinsic in it that really is woven throughout the rest of history as we see it. Yeah. Because we even see in ancient Chinese culture that the men would routinely rent their wives out for the night, mm-hmm. like their hotel, Yeah, to strangers. Mm-hmm. And they believed that doing that would bring divine prosperity and other things. So they would literally tell their wives, I'm going to rent you out for the night to this stranger mm-hmm. so that our house can be prosperous. I mean, they were, they were literally pimping their wives mm-hmm. um, to strangers, much in the way the movie Indecent Proposal, I think yeah. it's Robert Redford and, yeah. and uh, Demi Moore, um, letting your wife be with another man sexually for the sake of, um, of your own financial benefit. And again, throughout history, you're going to see coming forward with very brief periods of, of, of pause, it's generally going to be paternalistic. It's going to be male-dominated. It's going to be objectifying mm. in, in so many negative ways. And, um, mm. and we're going to see when we get to Scripture how anti-scriptural that is. Yeah. And we talked about this on the podcast with the uh, temple to Epaphrodite or Venus in the first century. They actually had a sex tourism industry. Mm -hmm. So like today, you have tourists who come to see different things. Paris, they they go to see the Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. Well, they had an industry of sex tourism uh, in Corinth and Cyprus and other cities that had temples dedicated to Aphrodite where pilgrims would come as tourists, mm-hmm. pay some money, and have sex with the temple maids. Yeah, and it was convenient worship, wasn't it? It, it, it was, <laughs> being that Corinth especially was a port city um, where you could get to it on both sides of it through water. Um, people from around the known world would happen to come in have, after spending weeks and months on ships, and it just so happened mm. that there was this way to worship the goddess of fertility, what they call the goddess of love, mm-hmm. by going to a religious brothel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 we see it again, objectifying. Now these women were considered not prostitutes but priestess. Yeah. yeah. Because they were they facilitated, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes again, the worship mm-hmm. of, of Aphrodite through being paid for um sexual intercourse. So that's what we're seeing in this culture, like sexual relationships with strangers wasn't just something that was a possibility, but it was something that was regularly practiced. Hooking up ain't new. (laughs) It's not. Hooking up (laughs) ain't new. No, in fact, uh, I think Herodotus wrote that uh, women in Cyprus were required to, at least once a year, go to the temple, sit in the temple, and wait for a stranger to have sex with. Yeah. It was a requirement in Cyprus. Yeah. yeah. And we see that also practiced regularly in Greek and Roman culture where male pedophilia was a regular practice. Yeah, and, 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 and it centered around a couple of things. It really centered around um, power and wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, being, taking young, underage males, and it was done by men and women, Pastor John. Mm-hmm. Um, men who had power and wealth 
would take young underage boys and make them um, um, sexual. Uh, they they would. This is rape, is what it is. Uh, make them their their sexual objects uh, for themselves and for others. And then women uh, would do this as well with some of those young um, um, young males to do do the, doing the same thing, objectifying them, using their bodies as status symbols mm-hmm. um, for the sake of demonstrating power, wealth, for the sake of, of feeling dominant. Um, and and one of the things in Roman culture that that you will see especially um, is that. Roman culture was one of those brief periods where there was a sense of, of uh, I don't know if I want to call it liberation, but mm. but a sense of a greater degree of equity, sexually, um, in in the household, so that um, men were known to go out and have um, these relationships or have their have these young men uh, as servants or slaves in their homes, but women also mm. uh, were able to do that. In fact, in Roman culture, a woman could file for divorce from her husband, which was rare. Um, in historically leading up to that time. Mm. So you see that you see that objectifying of young males as as a part of their culture in this extremely egregiously disgusting way to prove that I am somebody. Yeah. How how horrific is that? Wow. And here's why that's important because we see that the culture around people actually led them to go to extreme lengths to fall or land on the other side right. of sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. We see that most played out in the medieval period where they began to view sex as not as something to be enjoyed or as, or as intimacy, but literally just to have kids. Evil. Pro- procreation. Mm-hmm. Just, to, just to have kids. So All sex, even in marriage, medieval period. So this is an overcorrection of that Greek and Roman idea of free sex, hooking up yep. sex as worship of, of, of Greek goddesses, et cetera, et cetera. Now they, they've swung the pendulum all the way to the other side to say all of it's bad, mm-hmm. all of it's horrible. Anything other than just trying to have a kid mm-hmm. is, is not God's will at all. Yeah, and it continued well into the Victorian period. As a matter of fact, some men went as far as using a clamp control to prevent them from getting happy. I want to move on. I don't even <laughs> want to consider it. <laughs> but here's the thing. This also found its way into the church, too. Absolutely. Because when you look at the early church fathers, which I think is a— as a misnomer when it comes to sex and family, mm-hmm. uh, many of them are unmarried. Yep. And many of them view sex in marriage as more of a concession right. for our human weaknesses. Right. Like, and, and, and when you talk about it creeping into the church, here's the thing we've got to realize that nothing happening in the culture mm-hmm. can be, we cannot insulate the church from the thoughts, the ideas, and the concerns of the culture. Hmm. This is why, and I'm, 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 let me digress. This is why we have to talk about these things, right. whether they make you uncomfortable or not. Hmm. We've got to talk about them because the culture is dealing with these issues. Your kids, my kids, are human beings who are going to have sexual urges and desires, and if we don't have an answer for them, about how to engage in it ethically, responsibly, and as God intends, mm-hmm. then the culture's gonna tell them what to do. Yeah. 
And so the church fathers were trying to deal with the cultural expressions of sexual intimacy. And again, many of them un, unmarried, many of them without children. And, and because of this, um, they really, as an interpretation of Paul's, Paul's writing that we'll get to in a moment, where he encourages people not to be married, they thought it was holier mm -hmm. to be single and celibate. And so if you had to get married, you must be weaker than I am. Mm. And we, I mean, some great church fathers, we love them. Mm. They established the doctrines of the faith that we hold to to this day. But in this area, woo, thank God they weren't writing scripture. They were just writing their interpretations of it. Because, John, you, you, look at, you look at men like Origen, mm -hmm. uh, who says that Eve was sexually seduced by the serpent. So sex must be wrong. Now, ain't, that ain't nowhere near about the Bible. <laughs> Where, where'd you get that from? Who just randomly made that up. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's the idea, again, of trying to respond to the culture's mm -hmm. obsession and expression with sex to try to answer that. But, again, the pendulum swung way too far back to the other side. Yeah. And it's really not until we get to the Reformers and John Calvin and others who really bring back this idea of not just being for procreation, mm -hmm. but there's a certain level of intimacy that can be celebrated and enjoyed in marriage. Um, and <laughs> I love, I love what, what he says. He says, man, y'all crazy. <laughs> if y'all think that, that celibacy is the norm or could be the norm, uh, y'all gotta be crazy. Cause unless God told you to do that, right. Y'all need to get married and enjoy what I know you can enjoy. Yeah, and, and John Calvin, for all of his weaknesses, in the same way that you have um, church fathers who are beneficial in so many ways, but then bad in this area, Calvin, God bless his heart, was, was beneficial and bad in other ways, but he's right on in this area. Mm. When you look at Scripture, as we will do momentarily, you look at the body of the of the Bible, the whole of the Bible and its revelation mm. in and around this issue, you realize it's not merely for making kids. Yeah. Making kids is a residual mm. of intimacy, closeness, and pleasure that God intends for humankind to experience in the covenant of marriage. Yeah. But you still see the Victorians showing up in the Enlightenment period and have this code that really denies passion mm -hmm. in marriages. You know, women were asked just to endure sex and not enjoy it or asked to hide when they're pregnant because it showed that they actually had sex. Yeah. Let's not show that you had sex. Yeah. Don't, don't even even you, you got pregnant by your husband, but 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 don't show it because we don't want anyone to think that sex is OK and regular. Mm -hmm. And and oddly enough. Uh, uh, Pastor John, what this does is it gives rise. Whoo, whoo! I'm gonna mess with your life real bad. This actually gives rise to our modern concept of romance. That's right. Our modern idea of romance initially started as an underground movement, underneath this Victorian idea of just sex as business only. Mm -hmm. The idea of romantic love intimacy and pleasure was initially mm. an underground undercurrent underneath this concept. It then became the prevailing idea mm. of how we are to engage in partnership, intimacy, marriage, or something outside of marriage. Yeah. 
because the point was to find romance. And this is why we're messed up today. Here we go. We're messed up today because we carry in our minds the idea that interaction with a spouse, with, with, with a husband or a wife, is supposed to carry with it this undercurrent of resistance to the Victorian concept of sex. Mm-hmm. We're always supposed to feel this hot passion for one another. And you're supposed to make me happy. That's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. That's not in the Bible either. And it ain't possible. For goodness. somebody you live with every single day. Listen to me. To always be making you happy and you feel you'd always feel that hot, heat, passionate kind of way. No, nah, man. <laughs> that ain't how it goes. That's not how it goes. And so hmm. many people have left um, marriages that that they, that I'll say it, that they should have stayed in. Um, people have, have abandoned potential partners and, 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 and spouses because of this you're searching for, you're yearning for. Mm. Oh, goodness. Your social media pastors tell you you deserve someone. You don't have to tell them how to make you feel. They just automatically know. What? No, you better tell them. What? You better say. Listen, if you're going to be silent in your marriage. Listen, I like, I like my, <laughs> I like my uh, pancakes with crispy edges. You better tell him, baby, because he won't know. Mm-hmm. He won't magically know. Yeah. Um, that comes from that Victorian, that resistance to that Victorian idea of, of business only. It's business. Sex is business only between the husband and the wife. And, and people responded to that with resistance. And that's why we have this jacked up idea of romance and love now. And that's one of the biggest things when I'm doing premarital counseling mm-hmm. with young couples is getting them to understand that reality. Yeah. That this pie in the sky perfect romantic marriage is not going to be um, something that's going to be a reality for you all. And you're not going to have sex every day. It is yeah. physically impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, sometimes life happens, and, and we can talk about sex within marriage, but mm-hmm. I think that helping them get that reality in their mind mm-hmm. Um, really helps to shape their marriage on the front end so they're communicating well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about American culture because yeah. we've seen that the Puritans come over here. They carry some of those Victorian values, but they also have a hybrid model. Yeah, they, the, the, Victorian, uh, the Victorian concept of you know business only, uh, many and most, I would say, of the Puritans carried that here um, over as they came across the water. But then there are pockets and there are writings of them redeeming sex from that saying no it's not just for procreation it's not just a necessary evil it's also for the sake of pleasure and so you see that kind of tension among puritan cultures uh, or the puritan culture um in that way Mm. so what we see and we're going to fast forward a bit to the 1970s is this huge sexual revolution that takes place in America where American adults become more accepting of premarital sex, adolescent sex, and uh, same-sex activity. But here's the thing that was interesting in some of that research is that they're still less accepting of extramarital affairs. Yeah. Like even though they're accepting of these other things, that extramarital affairs, 
have this certain stigma attached to them, even for people who are involved in the sexual revolution. Yeah, it, it's interesting, the, the psychology of it. There's a sense, I think, innately of the, the covenant of marriage being so important, so significant. So there are people who, will, who, are, um, who do not believe that um, sex in marriage is the only proper uh, way to have sex. They say you can have ethical sex with an adult partner, it, with both people consenting, and you all can have a partnership and a sexual relationship, and then you can move on and find someone else, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, um, we're going to look at the Bible and say what the Bible says about that, but they are very clear. Even for people who, are, who believe those things are okay, mm. that, that, that casual sex or, or sex outside of what we would call covenant is okay. They are, they are very, even those persons say, Affairs are still wrong. Affairs are still bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the hard things to, to get people to understand is that extramarital sex, from the scripture's point of view, is not any more wrong than casual sex. Yeah. Casual sex is not casual to God, mm-hmm. according to the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so those ideas, um, that, that kind of that revolutionary idea that it's much more acceptable. It's 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 okay, you know. Just just you know, be ethical and be smart and be safe. Those kinds of things, uh, they they give rise to a a different idea in the culture mm. of what it looks like to live ethically, yeah, sexually. And what we saw and what we continue to see as cycles is that there was a big pushback mm-hmm. on the sexual revolution in the church, mm-hmm. uh, specifically around the movement that some of you all may be aware of and probably took part in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joshua Harris wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm just going to stop dating because I see what the culture sees dating as, is a hookup culture. Mm-hmm. And there, there was this promise ring culture mm-hmm. that really came up where uh, young women started to, to, to wear promise rings. I'm married to Christ until mm-hmm. I get into my marriage as a pushback on the sexual revolution that took place. Now, Harris has since said that book has probably done more harm than any other book in terms of sexuality in the church. He, he disavowed his own conclusion and, and the own book. And I believe, and, and I may be wrong about this, I want to say he is, um, I don't know if he's fully disavowed the Christian faith, uh, but he has certainly He's deconstructing r- it. Deconstructed it to a significant degree yeah. Yeah. Um, if he has not fully disavowed. So mm-hmm. um, the, again, that hyper-correction, the, 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 the idea that it's dirty um, is is a big deal, John. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna say something. I'm, Go on I'm gonna get in trouble. Go on and say it. Hey, parent, listen. Your child, and I, I I wish I had time to deal with the history of the concept of adolescence. Adolescence as a concept didn't come about until the um, early 20th century. In most cultures, you were an adult at 13, 14 years old. Yep. Your child, adolescence is a con is a cultural construct that now has a residual impact, and we've increased the length of adolescence. It used to be like 13 to 18. Now it's like 13 to almost 30. Might be 30 years old now. <laughs> you know what I mean? People people still believe. And, you know, you talk to people in that age group, those early, mid-20s, that still have adolescent ideas. My parents are supposed to take care of me, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's the thing. You keep telling your kid to to 
get their education, get their career started, and get married. And we pushed the age of marriage back. Mm-hmm. You know, people were at one time getting married at 15, 16, then 18, 19, then early 20s. We pushed it to mid-20s. We pushed it to 30s. Now people mid to late 30s before they're saying, now I'm ready to be married. Well, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. My body develops the desire and ability to engage in intercourse 12, 13. Very early. For for girls, it can be earlier than that. Yeah. And what you want me to do, if that's what you're teaching me, and you're my parent, you're saying, wait till you're 30, wait till you're 32 to get married, wait till you're 35 to get married, get yourself together, establish your life. Well, you're telling me from 13 to 35, Mm -hmm. 21 years, Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be doing nothing sexually? You setting them up. Come on, man. Yeah. 21 years? That's good. Are you serious? That's unreasonable. It's unfair for us to impose that on our kids. What we need to do is teach them the value Mm -hmm. of the covenant of marriage and encourage them. We, we need to grow them up sooner, not make them wait longer. That's good. Yeah. That's, 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 that's just old man porn talking. Y'all <laughs> take that for what you want to take it for. But, but otherwise, I'm putting my, my child in position mm-hmm. to have some of the issues we're about to talk about that, that the Bible is going to say happen when we do this incorrectly, when we do it outside of how God intends it. And P, we got to model a marriage that will lead them to want to get married earlier. Now you're now you getting messy, John. Now you're getting messy. Because many of the reasons parents told their kids to wait is because they themselves or their parents mm. had bad experiences with marriage. Yeah. yeah. And as such, marriage is seen as something negative or something extraneous and unnecessary. Mm. Mm. I don't have time to deal with it socially, but the but but for those who are concerned about um, black folks and black progress and and equity and those kinds of things, the statistics are are true. That marriage is the most significant key hmm. to social progress. Yeah, I say it all the time, brothers. If you want black folk to rise up and overcome and, and all of that, you want to do that, then you you need to get a wife and have children and stay with that wife and children. Hmm. And we have to dispel the myth that that somehow our community is better off without covenant with one another. That's, it, that's not true. It's not true. And, it's, and, and I'm not just pointing to the Bible. They have decades of social... Mm. evidence of this yeah. decades of social evidence that marriage is the path to progress for cultures yeah so let's talk about what scripture has to say about sex soul ties and masturbation mm-hmm. i think that um you know talking about the historical context really helps but we really want to boil down into what Bible says mm-hmm. and we go back to this idea this principle of first mention yep When's the Bible first talk about sex? Because it's going to be helpful for us to understand what God thinks about this idea of sex. So we're going to start in the beginning Mm -hmm. in Genesis chapter number two. 
And so this is right after God creates man and woman and Adam writes her a poem. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, <laughs> he, sir. he sets the mood by yes, writing sir. her a poem. Yeah. And um, what we see in verse number 25. Adam the Mac. Adam the Mac Daddy. He says, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, this is right before the fall, Mm -hmm. right before chapter three, right before the serpent deceives Eve. There's this freedom with which they are seeing one another both naked Mm -hmm. and unashamed. And and, and John, I want to give the people the poem. It's it's what Adam says when God brings the woman to him. He says, this is this at last <laughs> is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, because she was taken out of man, Ish, or I-S-H is our transliteration, Ish, Isha. He, he identifies her. I say all the time that Adam didn't know Eve was his wife by revelation. He knew by recognition. Mm-hmm. As the Lord causes all the animals to pass by him, the Bible says he named them, but he did not find a suitable helper. He said, that's a lion, that's a cat, that's a tiger. That's a bear, that's a monkey. It's not until he saw the woman we know as Eve mm. that he said, this is Isha. She is me. I am her. We are we are counterparts. Yeah. And in that way, the unity of their duality, two who are of one essence and, and purpose and intent, those people then can see one another naked without shame. Mm-hmm. Sexual. This is, this is not just... Um, about mm. intellectual intimacy and emotional intimacy. This is about sexual intimacy too. Mm. They mm. could see one another's private places, engage in um, intercourse without shame. Yeah, and then that's important because the very next chapter, mm-hmm. as the serpent deceives Eve and they eat of the fruit, uh, what we're going to see in verse number seven. It says in chapter 3, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew Mm. that they were naked Mm. and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What what an interesting transition. Mm. So they were naked and not ashamed. Verse 7 says their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They perceived their nakedness in a different way. Mm. It's not that they were walking around blind to their own, the fact that their parts were hanging out. It was that they were, they did not perceive it to be mm. negative. Here's the thing, John. Or shameful, right? Or shameful, yeah. yeah. So, so sex isn't dirty. Mm. People are dirty. Mm. Did you hear me? It's not sex. Sex ain't the problem. It's the soul. It's the mind. It's being disconnected from God. That's the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So if a person is disconnected from God, even positive things have have negative possibilities. Mm. Yeah. And that's not just true with sex, that's true with work. That's true with parenting. That's true. Anyone who is disconnected from God has the potential to take something God has given and make it perverse mm. or against God's intent for it. Yeah. And that's what happens. In Genesis 3. So what we see even throughout the, the Old Testament are negative instances of sexual interactions and then positive instances. And we're going to look at a few of those, but we're going to start with 
Genesis 4, right after the fall, mm-hmm. um, verse number 1 uses the word that many of us know from the King James Version, mm-hmm. and uh, we laugh about it, but it has some significant meaning in chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, yeah, and she conceived and bore a son Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So she, he knew her. Yeah. Now, that, that, that isn't an intellectual knowledge or sense. Mm-mm. This is a reference to sexual intercourse. The word there is yada. Mm-hmm. It's used throughout scripture um, for sexual intercourse. But here's my question. So here in this instance, there's there's no poem before Mm-mm. them being naked and unashamed. Right Here it just says that he knew his wife. Now, is this an instance of just procreation as a result of the fall, as we'll see Throughout scripture, we'll see somebody knew someone and they they conceived and someone knew someone and they conceived. And in other instances, which we'll look at in Song of Solomon, there's this language around love that really precedes them being able to, quote unquote, taste of one another's fruit. John, I mean, how, how, how bad how bad did we want to make the episode? Because, I mean, we can get real ugly with this because I want to say that within the context of of long-term relationship, marriage, particularly, specifically, Hmm. there are times when it's Genesis 2. Yes, sir. Poetry, (laughs) roses, flowers, fireworks, and there are times, brethren especially, I'm generalizing, but Mm -hmm. let me say, there are times when it's concessionary. Right. And she just says... All right. That that thou doest do quickly. <laughs> I mean, we can go on and mess up the episode with this right now because mm-hmm. um, sexual intimacy has those dual purposes. Mm-hmm. It is for pleasure. It is for intimacy. It is for connection. It is the height of human interaction as God intends it. It is, according to the quote you said from Temper Longman, it's a bridge experience between heaven and earth. And then there are other times when it is a matter of physical necessity generally for men mm-hmm. um, and and intending purposing to procreate yeah yeah let's look at uh, a text in the wisdom literature and Proverbs and then we're going to look at the Song of Solomon but Proverbs 5 has an interesting um, text here in verses number 15 mm-hmm. through 17 mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it's part of a warning against adultery. Yep. Against uh, enjoying any person outside of your marriage. Right. And this is instructions here in verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Yep. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Don't 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 miss this last part of verse 19. Mm-hmm. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with, in, in her love. Yeah. Yep. It, 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 it clearly God intends sex to be pleasurable. Mm hmm. 
furthermore, this verse, it, it starts out very poetic. Yeah. Imagery, water from your cistern. That's, that's thirst. That's, you, you, got a, you got a thirst. Let, let, your, let your spouse fulfill that thirst. Mm. Um, don't let your streams be scattered abroad. That speaks to the man's. He, he, he's now talking about the man's seed in the same way that the Egyptians understood it. Don't, 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 put, your, don't put your business everywhere out in the world, in the street. Yeah. Then he just nails it down. Mm-hmm. When you want sexual pleasure, go to your house yep. and get it from your spouse. That's it. And let that love be intoxicating to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we're going to look at uh, another text here in Song of Solomon, which we talked about this a little bit before the episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Song of Solomon is a biblical version <laughs> of explicit sexual content. Like, listen, if <laughs> if so, if you were with us in the last episode, we talked about um, how they developed a system of ratings for the Motion Picture Association. Mm-hmm. Song of Solomon would be NC-17 or maybe even X-rated. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Yeah, this, this is, this Song of Solomon, it's in your Bible. It's, it, they don't, they not, they don't hush, this, this ain't. They this, don't pull, this, pull no punches. No, they're not pulling punches, Doc. This is, so I'm yeah. going to read just two verses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the whole book. Yep. But the whole book is characterized by these two verses. So, so let me, let's, let's set it up. Song of Solomon is the, a song of intimacy or an exchange of intimacy between Solomon and um, the wife he really loves, who is a Shulamite woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are some onlookers and observers who are part of the conversation at varying points, but mostly it's him talking to the wife and the wife talking to him. Yeah. In this portion, John, she's talking to him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, mm-hmm. so uh, chapter number six, mm-hmm. verses 11 and 12. Listen. Uh, Listen to I your went, Bible. I went down to the nut orchard mm-hmm. to look at the blossoms of the valley mm-hmm. to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Yep. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. <laughs> Everything you think that means is exactly what, what it means. It means. <laughs> Every, everything you think those images refer to before I knew it she said I, before I knew chariot wheels were rolling <laughs> before this is I the Bible aware. this is I promise you it's right here in the Bible mm-hmm. it's in yours too if you didn't rip it out mm-hmm. she went down to see whether they had butted if they had butted this is sexual pleasure y'all it is we cannot run from or be afraid to talk about the fact that sex is supposed to be pleasurable. Yeah. You got to let your kids know that. You got to embrace it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That that it's supposed to feel good. It God made it. He put all of those nerve endings and all of those places in your body. Mm-hmm. And between this husband and wife there's nothing dirty. Nothing. There's nothing filthy in that context. It's not off limits. It can be explicit. It doesn't have to be for the whole world to see or hear. I'm not saying that you, you know, run out and tell the whole world that you go into the uh, orchard. Nut orchards. Yeah. 
But it's left here on record for us to grasp that God intends for us to enjoy one another physically, mm-hmm. yeah, intimately. Yeah, I want I want, a, I want one more soapbox for the sister. Oh boy, I'm messing up the episode every time I open my mouth, John. This is this is this is necessary though. Your your husband or the or the person you are considering to be your husband or when you consider someone to be your husband that person that man generally I'm generalizing generally has physical needs that are non-negotiable they're non-negotiable physical needs and if you say you want to be married to that person one of the things you're covenanting to do is to look after those non-negotiable physical needs. Now, mm-hmm. generally, and I'm generalizing, it's different. It's different. Oh, I have needs too. You do, but generally it's different than his. You need them in a different way. You feel it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Your needs begin emotionally, and they can become or or be experienced physically. His can just be physical yeah. without head and heart attached, mm. so to speak. Yeah. That's just that's just what it is. That's just how it, it works out. And so the fact that a husband may just want that physical interaction or may look for a physical interaction doesn't mean he doesn't love you or doesn't value you or doesn't appreciate you. You know, that that doesn't necessarily mean that. Sometimes it's just the, that that's what the need is at that time. Yeah. Um, and as husbands, we have to be sensitive to the fact that we cannot objectify our wives because it's very possible we can do that. That's true. Yeah. But at the same time, ideally, hopefully, prayerfully, you're also sensitive to the fact that it's not that he devalues you. It's just that physically, biologically, that's just how it works sometimes. Yeah. And I think Paul will have a couple of things about He's say gonna about address that it. He's gonna we, address as it. As we mm-hmm. turn to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um I'm gonna have them write down Luke one thirty four because it uses that, that word knowing in the Greek it's called gnosko. Mm-hmm. And it's where we get the, the Gnostic movement, which was a movement of people who mm-hmm. felt like they had this extra knowledge secret knowledge outside of scripture mm-hmm. that made them more important than other people. Yeah. Well here in, in scripture when you have the word gnosko in terms of marital relationships, that literally means sex. And yeah. this is where um, Mary is asking, well, how can this be since I have not known a man? Right. Um, because the angel has come to her and told her she'd be with child. So uh, what I do want to look at, though, is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is Paul. And we've talked about the Corinthian church. Mm-hmm. So hopefully in previous episodes, y'all heard us say that the culture the culture in Corinth is a highly sexualized culture. highly sexualized Corinth became synonymous with sin if you wanted to call somebody a sinner you called him a Corinthian yep so here's what he there's stuff happening in the church that he's talking about here in first Corinthians 5 and he is shocked but probably not shocked because of it being Corinthian culture he says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. Mm-hmm. Y'all doing worse stuff than what's happening outside the church. Right. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. 
For though absent in the body, I'm present in the spirit. As if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such things. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is church discipline. Church discipline, which is a curse word today. How dare a church put somebody out? Well, um, first of all, Jesus tells us to do it. Mm. He says if one offends you and you go to them, yep. they won't hear you. You take two or three witnesses if they don't fear him. You take it to the church and its leadership if they don't hear them. Then Jesus says, "Kick them out. Put them out." Yeah. Well, put how dare out. you? How dare you? The because church is supposed to be for everybody. It is, but it also my granddad says when we say the doors of the church are open, they swing both ways. You can take you in. <laughs> put it out. It, the issue is not just the sin. Mm -hmm. it, the issue is the 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 open, unashamed lifestyle that is being flaunted in the face yeah. of God and is ruining the collective testimony of the church. Yeah. And this is a man who is with his father wife, his his stepmother basically. So either the father has died or divorced the wife mm -hmm. and and the father's son picks her up and now they have a relationship. I, and we don't know that they've gotten married or anything right. of that nature, but whatever it is, it's known. And they, they walk them downtown holding hands and going out on yeah. dates and stuff like that. And Paul says, man, we, you can't tolerate that. It and everybody a, in the church yeah. knows and sees it. Ain't nobody saying nothing. He says, no, we cannot have that rampant lifestyle. Um, it's sexual immorality. And, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, John, that word is pornea. And, yeah. you know, we talked about it. Um, years ago, I taught on, on marriage and this idea that the, the word pornea has a broad definition and a narrow one. Um, pornea is the Greek word for sexual immorality. It's the word generally translated fornication. Um, it's different than the word adultery um, because adultery is a specific kind or version, as it were, of pornea. Pornea mm -hmm. is a catch-all word for all sexual immorality. Well, the narrow definition of it that that Jesus perhaps uses in Matthew when he says, um, when he's talking about divorce, is referring to three things the Jewish mind could understand. Um, incest, bestiality, or homosexuality. Mm. So when he says you're not to divorce your wife except for in cases of pornea, sexual immorality, if you find out your spouse is a relative, or um, if your spouse engages in bestiality, or if they engage in homosexuality. That's, that's the narrow definition. The broader definition, the one that Paul specifically uses in most of his writing, is just anything that is sexually perverse. Generally speaking, what is accepted mm -hmm. in the culture that goes against God's original intent. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those instances, the law of God in, in Leviticus explicitly forbids. It says you don't uncover your father's nakedness. That's the idea. We talked about Noah's sons the, uh, a couple of episodes back when we talked about drinking. Um, and, and the idea is that what this boy is doing is a, what this man in 1 Corinthians 5 is doing is a direct affront to God's creative order and intent for sex. Hmm. And that's why Paul says, put him out. Now, now, what we do realize is that they do it. Yeah. And 2 Corinthians says that Paul then says, well, he's repented. Bring him back in. Let him come on back in. Yeah, that's good. And man, there's so much I could say about that. We could, we could, we, some people we're trying to placate, we're really hindering 
Their spiritual growth. Their spiritual growth. Sometimes we need divine chastisement. We need the community's um, accountability to call us to what we really ought to be. Um, Church discipline is something that the church should engage in. Mm. But the church should also be gracious. It's not, Paul did not say put him out because he's nasty. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying the church should withdraw fellowship for the time being so he can come to his senses. Yeah. And I I really want to give some proper space and place to soul ties and masturbation, but I want folks to write down uh, these couple of verses here um, when it comes to sex. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, probably verses 1 through 5. And that gets to what you were talking about in terms of marriage. Uh, Scripture says that husband and wives should not deny conjugal rights. Mm-hmm. That's not just a prison term. No, no, <laughs> no. And and the the specific explicit words of the Apostle Paul are um, that husband doesn't have power over his own body. The wife doesn't have power over her own body. You're not to deny one another those rights. I like the old King James. Do benevolence which is kind of an oxymoron <laughs> because if it's benevolent, it's a kindness, but yeah. it's due kindness, yeah. kindness we owe one another. So meeting one another's physical needs, intimacy needs, um, is a kindness that we owe to one another. And he says we don't have power over one another's bodies. Mm. In that way, he says the only time you shouldn't be doing that is, is when you agree together mm. to not do it for the sake of fasting and prayer. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing. If it's as wrong as it is to have sex outside of marriage, it's just as wrong to not have sex when both people are capable within the marriage. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, write down Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. It talks about the honor of marriage and the marriage bed being undefiled. Make sure you write that down. Take a look at that. But I, w- I really want to talk about soul ties right now. Let me say something real quick about the Hebrews text, and we're going to soul ties. Here. Okay. Um, there's nothing, husband and wife, that you two can do to one another that you both consent to that, that is off limits. All of you all's body, both of you all's body that you consent to participate in with one another is all right with God. That's what, that's what Hebrews 13 says. That's Hebrews 13. That's what your <laughs> Bible addresses. All right, so let's look at soul ties and briefly at uh, Genesis 2, but I do want to look at this instance in Genesis 34 because I think that's important. Mm-hmm. But uh, Genesis 2, again, this is in the beginning when man and woman are created. Uh, we see that they are um, literally, and Jesus references this, this verse after Adam writes his poem and says his poem. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. So you're no longer seen as two separate people in a marriage, but mm-hmm. you're seen as one flesh, mm-hmm. as one entity in the covenant of marriage. Yep. There. Yep. And there's a tie that mm-hmm. ties you all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and sexual intercourse could lead to ties with another person it is designed to be the consummation of covenant Mm. even when covenant isn't present there is a consummation of something yeah 
That's good. Something connects every time that happens. Every time. Mm-hmm. And we see this in Genesis 34 mm-hmm. with the defiling of Dinah, yeah. which is a rape scene. Rape scene. In and, Genesis 34. Yeah. And I, I want to be clear that for those for whom this is um, traumatic, traumatic yeah. or triggering, two things. One, you can text talk. T-A-L-K to 501 We will connect you with a mental health professional if you're not already connected to someone mm-hmm. who can help you to walk through um, that and process it properly. We will pray for you. We will pray with you. I can anoint you with oil, but you need a professional to help you to walk through it as well. Uh, and so that's that's what I want you to know. The thing I want you to know is that the Bible doesn't shy away from these subjects. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it tells what happens. It addresses it. And... Um, and we see how God is on the side of those who have been violated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what we see here, uh, Genesis 34, starting in verse 1, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. Mm-hmm. Verse number 3. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly of her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now here's the the irony of his heinous act. Mm-hmm. It's the very next verse. It says that he loved her yep. and spoke tenderly of her. After violating yeah. this young lady, it says, but what the text says in verse 3 is that his soul was at that point tied to her. Yeah. That he was so uh, incessant about getting her. He right. asked his father to get her for him. The story goes on to say that her brothers are yeah. incensed by this. Right. And ultimately they slay him. They so that him. so that this soul tie led to a massacre. Mm-hmm. That that her brothers were so upset by what happened to her that they went and killed not just him, but the folks who were around him. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they sought to avenge her honor yeah. and, um, mm. and her integrity. And, but the connect, and there's so many things about this horrific story yeah. uh, that can be addressed, but the, what we're trying to address is the idea that, that the physical interaction created something deeper, mm. a deeper tie um, from him to her, yeah. um, and and you see it, you see it in many cases um, uh, today. And our mental health professionals can speak to it much much more thoroughly than than Pastor John or I could. Uh, but but there is this ugly knot tied in these occasions of violation mm-hmm. um, that we need the power of the Spirit and those who are proficient and professional in this field to help us work our way through. Mm. Point is, every time you lay down with somebody, something connects. Yeah, something connects. And and this is what we see in the New Testament with Paul. And one fleshness isn't just this this concept, especially when there's a connection mm-hmm. uh, for marriages. But Paul argues in First Corinthians six sixteen, and we we won't read that, so we can uh, move on a little bit. But he talks about um, having one flesh mm-hmm. with prostitutes, yeah. those who are. Um, going into prostitutes, he's saying that 
there is a one flesh reality even in those relationships yeah. that are extramarital. Yeah, and and again, talking about the Corinthians who would go to worship Aphrodite in the temple, and some of them would, you know, some of the Christian uh, brethren would go, quote unquote, air quotes, worship, uh, which is to pay a woman for sex. And Paul is saying, mm, actually, it's not just casual. You don't just get up and go on about your business there's you're tied in some way mm -hmm. to that and when you do that especially as a believer you're tying the body of Christ to that prostitute mm. yeah. and listen I think this this last topic is something that a lot of people came here for mm -hmm. so I think they might forgive us for going over just a little bit a little bit of time a little extra time yeah. to talk about masturbation because I think it's important for us to be able to 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 really touch on it and have people understand it, yeah. especially from a biblical perspective. Right. Now, uh, what you're going to see in the Old Testament and New Testament is that there's no explicit um, text that talks about masturbation. There is no verse in the Bible that speaks of a person self-satisfying sexually. Yeah, There isn't. Some people try to use... Um, Mm -hmm. um, the incident of Onan who goes into his brother's wife in Genesis and he's supposed to uh, give her a child but instead he puts his seed on the ground rather um, than, than in her so that they can have a child. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to raise up a brother, uh, for uh, an heir for his brother. He doesn't do that because he's selfish, he wants the money. It's about selfishness, it's not about masturbation and he's not satisfying himself mm -hmm. um, in, that, in that instance. Yeah. I do want to look at uh, Job uh, chapter number 31. And many of us are familiar with the story of Job lost his wife, child, his children, and uh, many of his possessions um, go through, goes through several instances where him and his friends have conversations about God's goodness and the problem of evil. But here in chapter number 31, verse 1, um, Job makes this interesting covenant mm -hmm. with his own eyes. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a virgin? So here Job is saying that there's a connection between his eyes mm -hmm. and looking at this virgin mm -hmm. that could lead to things that might find himself outside of the province of God. Yeah, he's 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 talking about lusting. Yeah. Talking about I don't I don't I'm I don't even want to look at it. Mm. If it's going to make me lust for it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, and we go over to the New Testament. Right. And Jesus echoes those words in Matthew chapter number five. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about why we're talking about looking mm -hmm. in relationship to masturbation. Yeah. Here as we unpack it. But if we look at Matthew chapter number five. And verses 27 through 30, here Jesus addresses lust as part of his Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. We talked about this last episode, that Jesus calls us to go beyond what the Pharisees and other lawgivers were saying. Well, here's what he said to, about lust. Uh, you've heard it said that it, um, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it's better that you lose one of your members than you, your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one member than that your whole body goes into hell. Mm -hmm. So he's saying here, um, you heard this. Right. Like this is in the law. Mm -hmm. You shall not commit adultery. But he's saying even for you to look at a woman lustfully is actually committing adultery. I love what Roy Ortland says. He says, uh, even when you're not touching, you're taking. Yeah. And, John, I really want to make sure that we grab this. Attraction mm. is not adultery. Yeah. Seeing someone who you're not married to. You know the song, I only have eyes for you. Man, come on. <laughs> if somebody's fine, they're fine. Attraction is not adultery. Mm -hmm. Seeing someone who's beautiful or, or attractive and saying, wow, that's a good-looking person, that's a good-looking woman, that's a good-looking man, and you're not married to them. What Jesus is talking about, look, look at the word specifically, lustful intent. It's the lingering, it's the thoughts that turn into pictures in your mind and images and scenarios in your mind. That's what Jesus is talking about. When you start creating these scenarios and images and what would it be like and what I would do and all of that stuff, that's when you're getting into the area that Jesus is talking about. So just seeing someone, I don't want you to think you just see someone and because you think they're pretty or they're handsome, then now you got to go repent and fall on the altar. That's not, mm -hmm. that's not what he's saying. He is, however, saying when you start creating these scenarios and, and develop these images, that, that, that's when you're in dangerous territory. There is a significant difference between looking and lingering looking and lingering and that's what he's getting at here right mm -hmm. so let's look at first john chapter two and look at the big three that that john <laughs> talks about yeah. here in first john i john <laughs> okay so uh Chapter 2, verse number 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here's what he says, all that's in the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever he lays out and says that hey here's everything that's in the world these three things desire to flesh desire to eyes pride of life what he's really laying out is what we see in the fall in genesis mm -hmm. we see all three of those components yep. laid out in the book of genesis in chapter three in the fall and he's saying that is the penultimate um way of life for people who are entrapped Mm -hmm. by sinful behavior that was shown in the fall. Right, right. And, and again, James is going to help us with this. To be tempted is not the same as sinning. Mm -hmm. But what John is addressing is the idea that, that letting those things linger, letting those things fester, and then ultimately letting them um, have place in your thoughts, affections, and, and ultimately actions that's when you're going to get 
into serious consider, uh, trouble. So here's here's what we're trying to get to with the masturbation discussion. Yeah. Masturbation generally, and the Bible doesn't say that self-satisfying sexually is sinful, but generally speaking, it needs images. It needs pictures, either in your imagination or tragically because we have these devices in our hands at all times, there's, it's so easy to access images and scenarios and be voyeuristic in a secret way that create opportunities for lust not just to be manifested but to also then be expressed. And when that is what's happening, mm-hmm. the Bible is explicit, you're, that's sin. Mm-hmm. That self-satisfaction based on images of others that you are not in covenant with, that is sin. Now, let me put a caveat here. I've had people ask this question, and I cannot, I do not have a, I cannot say that this is sin. I've, I've had a person ask about um, self-satisfying sexually to a, to a, to a deceased spouse. They, they were a widow, and spouse has passed on, and hmm. they self-satisfied to someone they had covenant with. I, I can't say that's a sin. Hmm. I can't say that a husband and wife on a trip to separate places around the country or someone's somewhere else and you all FaceTime and y'all do whatever that is, I cannot say that that's a sin. Mm-hmm. Or if you have the images of the person you're uncovered with, your wife, your husband, and you self-satisfy sexually, I, I cannot tell you that to do that in the context of covenant yeah. with, with your mind and attention and the images being the person that you are covenant covenant with, I can't say that that's a sin. Mm. So I cannot explicitly say masturbation is a sin. I can say lust is a sin, and if your masturbation is the outworking of your lust, then that's sinful. Yeah. And this is why it's not just black and white. Not just black and white, man. Not just black and white. But we do hope that you all were blessed by this episode and understanding that we really want you to know, especially when it comes to sex, that biblically faithful sex isn't just for procreation. It really is meant to enjoy within the covenant of marriage. And you really do need to, as a parent, if you're a parent listening, have those conversations with your children as early as you can so that you can withstand the tide Mm-hmm. of um, images and conversations that they're already having. So thanks again for joining us on the Growth Factor podcast. We appreciate you all for coming through. And we do really ask that you would subscribe to our podcast on all the platforms that are available. And then also go over and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor. We appreciate you for joining our growing community over there. Until next time, we're going to talk about music and secular music versus, that was my air quotes, mm-hmm. sacred music. Yeah. Uh, can't wait to have that conversation. Oh, that's good. Both that's of us good. really want to talk about I, that. I can't wait to get to that one. All right, we'll see you all next go-round. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening. Thank you.